If we're honest, most of us really want to do something that will make a difference in this world. We do. We want to make some kind of a positive impact on this earth before we return to the earth, right? Like during my lifetime, I want to make a positive contribution, something that will make a difference, something that is beautiful or important and have lasting value beyond my life. I think most of us would want that. We would desire that. And those of us whose lives have been impacted by Jesus, and we look at Jesus and say, God, you've done so much for me, then most of us in that camp would say, man, then I want to do something for him. I want that lasting contribution to be something that is going to glorify Jesus and make a positive kingdom contribution. That is what we are talking about today. Now, if you've been with us over the past weeks, we've been looking at the life of Jesus and who he is And we've been using these three main attributes of Jesus to kind of guide our conversation. And so you should all be able to say these by now, but we're going to put them up on the screen. Here we go. These are the three main attributes of Jesus. Jesus is here. Jesus is good. And Jesus is Lord. Say it again. Jesus is here. Jesus is good. Jesus is Lord. Those three things are so vitally important to our understanding of who Jesus truly is. He is present with us, always. He will never leave us. He will never turn his back on us, even in our most challenging and difficult moments. Jesus is here. Jesus is good. He is for you. He is not against you. He doesn't want to curse you. He wants to bless you. His heart is not to judge people, but to save people. Even the worst of us. He's good. And Jesus is Lord. He has all authority over all things and nothing is impossible for God. Jesus is Lord. And if if you missed any of these previous three messages where we really unpacked those ideas, you can find them on YouTube, you find them on our podcast, they're available. I would encourage you to really dive into this because these three ideas, these three attributes of Jesus, I know for me, they have framed my understanding of Jesus in some beautiful and powerful ways. And, And so I just describe it, that's my Jesus mantra. Like when I'm praying, I'm often thinking, Jesus, you're... You're here right now in this moment. Jesus, you're good. Jesus, you are Lord. When I go to pray for other people, when I go to do ministry, when when I'm thinking about even what I'm gonna be ministering, these three thoughts are continually in my mind. So I really encourage this to become a mantra for our church family. That those three things would be so consistently in our hearts and our minds. And I really do believe that they have the power, Jesus has the power, 
but our understanding and our belief in him, it has the power to like cause fear to like flee. Like when we're feeling anxious or anxiety, like push those out because Jesus, no, I know you are right here with me and I'm under your blessing, not your curse. We've got this together and God, whatever needs to be done in this situation to bring wholeness or a fix, you can do it because you're Lord. So I'm leaning into you. So I I really believe that these ideas are fundamental and foundational, but today, this is the final message, and I wanted to bring something really practical about how does this make a difference in the way we live? How, How does this actually make a difference in the way we live our lives? And so I wanna share something with you to steer our conversation today. You can put this up on, on the screen. Here's the first thought. I'm gonna give you two thoughts to start out. What we believe about Jesus will directly impact how we live for Jesus. Let me say that again. How, what we believe about Jesus will directly impact what we believe, what, how we live for Jesus. This is such an important concept, but I want you to notice something. It it doesn't say what we believe about Jesus determines how we live for Jesus. Meaning like sometimes even when we believe in Jesus, we do stupid things, right? It's like, you know, we, it's, it's not the like, man, if I just believed better, I would be perfect. No, that, that's not the case. And when we mess up, we, we have to like turn back to Jesus who is good and is there to bring restoration and forgiveness and healing to whatever situation, you know, the mess we made. But I'm telling you, your beliefs are gonna have a direct impact in the way you live. There's no, I mean, there's no other way around it. In fact, I would say it this way. The way you live for Jesus is never going to exceed your belief in Jesus. Think about that for a moment. I mean, that's kind of a heavy thought. How you live for Jesus is never going to exceed what you believe in Jesus. It's not gonna happen. So if you think about like the person who you think is the most godly person you've ever met, they're just so loving. They're so giving, they're so generous. Can I tell you, that came out of a strong belief in the person of Jesus. That's where it comes from. You will never become, become godly unless you believe in the God who we worship and who we've been describing in the person of Jesus. But it goes even deeper than this first thought. But wait, there's a little diagram. Just, just keep note of that little diagram. What I believe is gonna have direct impact on my behavior. You got that? Let's go ahead and put up the next slide because this goes a little deeper. Now, how we live for Jesus is gonna have direct impact on what others believe about Jesus. The way I live my life out in front of others is going to have a direct impact on the faith of others. My life is going to make a difference because as people, they're not going to just listen to what I say about Jesus. They're going to watch how I live for Jesus. 
So go ahead and put up that little diagram. Let's complete it. It starts with what I believe. I believe in Jesus, who is here, who is good, who is Lord. My beliefs are going to have a direct impact in my behavior. How I choose to live my life, the decisions I'm making every day. But it's so important because how I am living my life is what others see. And that is going to have a direct impact in others' belief in Jesus. People might listen to what we say, but I'm telling you, they will stop listening if our life does not match up to our speech. We can tell people all day long about Jesus, but if they don't see Jesus alive in our lives, they're going to say, why would I want to go down that path? Why would I make a, want to make a decision to follow Jesus if you're not living? And let me tell you, you, know, you don't have to look at the news too long before you find a story of some pastor who has like really made a hard left turn with his or her life and like just done some really foolish, stupid things that are not in the ways of Jesus. And what happens? Man, you know, when it, when it happens with a pastor, it's like, it impacts so many people and, and you know, and their stories. Cause like, man, I, I, put, I, I was watching you. I was trusting you, man. I loved you. you. You were making such a difference in my life. And then, but look, your life just fell apart. So what hope is there for me? And we all get that. We all understand that when a pastor really messes up, it's very hurtful to a lot of people. But I want to tell you, it ain't just about pastors. <laughs> that is true for every single one of us. Like our, our little circle of influence may not be, uh, you know, like a big stage, but you do have a stage. And people are watching. People are watching your life. Do you live for Jesus? But how you live for Jesus is never going to exceed what you believe in Jesus. So getting back to the foundational ideas of like, who is Jesus? Do I really put my trust in who he is? And so we've been using an illustration over, over this series, and it was really simply this three-legged stool. Jesus is here, Jesus is good, and Jesus is Lord. And we talked about how you, you can't really have a full understanding, of, a clear, true picture of Jesus unless like all of the three legs are there or what happens? Topples over, right? I mean, it just, it's gonna fall over. Your, your faith in Jesus is not based on something that is, is solid or stable or is gonna hold anything. But now I want to take this illustration up a big notch right here because I want to tell you that there are other people, other people who are watching your life. And so if you topple over, your faith isn't strong, you, you forget that God is good and you, you, know, you forget that he's sovereign and has come up with boundaries like the laws of life that we're to live by so that we're healthy and productive. We forget those things. We start doing dumb stuff. Listen, that's a bummer for you if that happens. But it's not just about you. Because when you forget who Jesus is 
and your life starts to go a little crazy and, and your faith topples over, guess what's happening? All the others who are watching your story, who need someone to look at, someone is, a, is that reference point, like that firm foundation that like, I, I can believe in Jesus because I'm watching how he's impacting your story. I'm seeing the decisions that you're making that are in line with what you're saying is about, true about Jesus. Guess what happens? If you're stable and strong, you're giving them a firm foundation for their faith. But if our life takes a tumble, very often, like it doesn't determine their faith, but it will have a direct and negative impact on their, their faith stories with Jesus. Now, Pastor Tim, did you just come up with that idea? Is that like just you? <laughs> like this whole little thing, is this about you? No, I wanna, I wanna show you this in scripture. Paul and Timothy have this very special relationship. Paul is the guy who wrote most of the New Testament wrote a huge chunk of our scriptures. And he had this young apprentice named Timothy. And they had this very unique bond and they, they spent years of ministry together. When you read through um, Paul's writings, you'll often see Timothy's name appearing like over and over and over. And then Timothy was sent out to become a pastor. And, and so Paul wrote what we have. We have two letters that, that Paul wrote to Timothy. He might have wrote more, but we have two, First and Second Timothy, where he's just encouraging him, challenging him, and reminding him of certain things that are true and will be helpful in Timothy's life. But I want to draw your attention to 2 Timothy 3. This is from verses 10 through 14. I want you to listen to what Paul says about this three-legged stool and about Paul's own life. He says this, he says, but you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live. Let's just pause right there for a second. What I teach, listen, that is, he was teaching his faith. He was describing, this is the way that faith works. This is who Jesus is. These are the truths about God's kingdom and how we can live in it. But those things, he didn't stop there just like, Timothy, I got a lot to teach you. No, he says, no, you know what I teach. You also know how I live. And he knew it so closely that he could even say that next thing, you, you certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. Like, Timothy was watching so closely that he can say, I know all about Paul. I know his story. I know what, he's, what his mission is. This is what Paul is all about. And then he goes on even further. You know my faith. You know my patience. My love. My endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. In other words, he's saying, Paul, you, Timothy, you've watched my life so closely that even in those really, really hard times, you know how I have endured, how I've held fast, right? 
I have held fast, Timothy, and you know it. So then he goes and he's able to say this. You, Timothy, must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. Well, why? You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. Oh, dang. Like, Timothy, you can be faithful to Jesus because you can trust who taught you these truths. You know my life. There is a trustworthiness about who Paul was in the good times and in the bad that made him a reliable witness to who Jesus was and is. Timothy, you have a firm foundation when you look at my life and this is why I can tell you, you can trust what I have told you. Paul had a life that was imitatable. It was imitatable. In fact, he, he spoke something like really short, this short little phrase to the whole church in the city of Corinth. And he said these words, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So Jesus is the foundation, Christ, Jesus Christ, who is here, who's good, who's Lord. Paul's saying, that's who I follow. And because of that, Timothy, Timothina, <laughs> you can follow me. Listen, we are called to have a faith and a life that are imitatable. We are to have a, a faith in Jesus and the life that flows from our faith that are imitatable. And while it's incredibly important to have a faith and a life that everyone around us can see, like our friends at school, our coworkers, our neighbors, other family, you know, it's like, you know, extended family. Here's what I want to tell you this morning and where we're going to point our thoughts. There is one place that is most critical for us to be able to model this pattern and allow people to imitate our faith. And that is in our homes with our kids. That is the most critical place. Like if you really want to make a mark in this world, if you really say, I wanna make a lasting difference before I die, this is the one place in your home with your kids that you're going to have the single greatest opportunity to do that very thing. So, pastor, I don't have any children. Is this message gonna even make sense to me? Yeah, I think it will. Listen, much of what I'm gonna say is gonna have direct implications like for other places of influence that you might have in your place of work, in your neighborhood or whatnot. But I am gonna direct comments specifically toward parents. But I want you to think deeper than, than just like, okay, well, I'll try to make this applicable for anyone. I want you to think about kids. 
Because even if you are not a parent or maybe your kids have grown, I wanna tell you, you are likely, even if you're not a parent, very likely you're an aunt or an uncle. Still have influence in the life of the next generation. If you're not an aunt or an uncle, you know what? Very possible you're a grandparent, right? Like kids are grown, but now you're like still having influence on the next generation. Maybe you're just a really good friend to a kid in your neighborhood. Someone who needs some, an extra set of eyes looking out for a child. And if none of those things are applicable, you should probably be serving in our Safari Kids ministry or our Live Up Youth ministry. Can I get a witness? Come on. God has called us, as you read through scripture over and over again, that God's people are always to invest in and impact positively the emerging generations. And so I really didn't want to finish this series of messages about looking at Jesus, who is here, who is good, and who is Lord, without also looking at how does this impact the way we live our lives, and very specifically, how we parent. So, I'm going to meddle just a little bit right here, and I'm going to put my nose in it, but I'm just going to make it really, really clear. And let's go ahead and put up that next slide for parents. I'm taking the words that we've already used, but I'm making it really specific for parents. Parents, what you believe about Jesus will directly impact how you live for Jesus. And how you live for Jesus will directly impact, not determine, but will directly impact what your kids believe about Jesus. The reason it's so important for us to have an imitatable life and an imitatable faith is because kids learn through imitation. I saw this happen in my living room this past week. I should have grabbed a little video to show you. I, I didn't. wasn't thinking that fast. But many of you know that um, my daughter um, has an incredible little boy um, named Jesse James. Jesse James is not even two years old yet. I'll be in a couple months. He turns two. So here's this one and however months, you know, 20, 21, 22 months right in there. And they're in my living room, and Kaylin plays, has played a lot of volleyball. She got to play volleyball for Hancock. She loves volleyball. And there was a volleyball there in the living room. And so she is sitting on the floor with my one-year-old grandson, and she is teaching him how to bump. I'm telling you, within about three minutes, this little one-year-old was bumping. Like, how, how is this even possible? I mean, Kayla and I are looking at each other like, dang, the kid's got, got skills. But like, what did she do? She did not lecture him about all of the aspects, the finer points of volleyball. Now there's a court, and there's a big net, and there's, you know, like all these rules, and you can serve from behind the line. You know, none, she wasn't doing none of that. You know what she was doing? You put your hands like this. Jesse James, can you put your hands together? You know, and she, and then she would like bounce the ball on her hands like that. Boop, boop, boop. 
And then, so he's like watching. He's imitating what mama was doing so that he would learn to like just do the same thing. He didn't know he was learning a new skill. He was doing what mom did. Does this make any more sense to you right now? The reason our lives and our faith need to be imitatable is because others are watching. And they learn through imitation. Now, what I could have done for the remaining moments that we had is I could have given you like a dozen bullet points and I was tempted to do that. Okay, Jesus is here. How do we model God's presence? Jesus is good. How do we model his goodness? Jesus Lord. How do we model his authority in our lives? I could have done that, but I knew that like as soon as we left and Super Bowl turned on, guess what was gonna happen? You're like, bullet points fly out of my, I don't remember, I don't remember all those cool bullet points you gave us, Pastor. So here's what I'm gonna do instead. I'm gonna share a few stories from my own life and about my own mama who's on the front row right here Wave, Arlen, yeah. And about my daddy, who just about a week ago, um, we celebrated his first birthday with him in heaven. But I want to tell you about how two people who, if you talk to them, they would describe their own lives as flawed, imperfect human beings. But what did they get right that modeled these things? And my hope is, is that rather than going through just a bunch of bullet points, here's a bunch of things you could do, just listen to these stories and find some way that God might inspire you to say, you know what? That story inspires something that I could do as well as I model these things to the next generations. So how did my parents model presence to me? How did I come to learn that there could be a God who was present because I saw parents that were present? Now, this was a little complex for me because most of my growing up years, my dad traveled for work. He did ministry, like in churches around the country, but also even churches around the world. And and so my dad was gone through all of my upper elementary, right through junior high, right through high school, he was gone half to two-thirds of the time my dad was on the road. How would a dad who is traveling that much be present in his son's life? I'm gonna tell you, it wasn't perfect, but I wanna tell you a couple things that he did that made such a difference in my life. Number one, really simply, my dad called home and talked with each of us Almost every day, almost every day, I would have a conversation with my dad. In fact, I was thinking about this. I probably talked more to my father than many other boys talked to their father who was sleeping under the same roof every day. What, what, what may, why do you say that? Well, because my dad was in intentional about connecting. He was intentional about it. So even though we might have been thousands of miles apart, he would call and we would have this intentional 
few moments. Maybe it was a minute, depending on what was going on. It might have been five minutes, 10 minutes. An intentional connection. See, because presence starts with intentionality. God sent his son to live with us. Emmanuel. It was very intentional. We read in Revelation, Jesus saying, I stand at the door and knock. Are you going to let me in? Because if you do, I'm going to come in and live with you. You know what? He's standing there. It is so intentional. God is pursuing us. And pursuit never happens unintentionally. We need to be people who are pursuing our kids. I like you. I want to be involved in your life. I'm not going to give up. I'm like Jesus standing at the door and knocking, and I ain't going to go away until we have this connection. There was an intentionality. But my dad did more than just like check in. Many times, especially in my younger years, my dad would come home from a trip, and this happened a number of times where he would say, hey, Tim, you and I are going to spend an entire day together, just you and me, and you get to decide what we're going to do. Like, totally up to you. I remember being this little kid. Now, this shows my age. It it truly does. You're going to get this in a moment. Disney World had opened recently. This is a long time ago. But I'd seen it like in a magazine. And it was like, oh my gosh, Disney World? Like, you know, I'd been to Disneyland probably a couple times. But Disney World? This is great. And so we lived in the Los Angeles area. And I said, Dad, I want to go to Disney World. <laughs> you know what my dad said? He said, okay. He said, we could do that. You know, but like flying across the country both ways on that same day, I don't think we're going to barely even see Disney World. Oh, yeah, okay. Let's go to Disneyland instead. We did. It was great. But I want you to catch this. I know in my bones that if I had told my dad, no, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to just go and see Disney World. You know what? That is exactly what he would have made happen. (laughs) He would have made it happen. Because he was committed to his word and he was committed to me. And you know what that communicated to the soul of a little boy who was being formed, learning about presence? When he took those days and allowed me to be the one who helped craft what we would do together, it told me that I mattered to my daddy. It told me that what mattered to me mattered to him. So presence is intentional and it communicates something of value to that person that you are investing that time with. Now, you may have heard this, this little cliche, but I'm just going to say it anyway. Kids spell L-O-V-E-T-I-M-E. 
right? They do. L-O-V-E-T-I-M-E. Meaning that you can say that you love a child. If you're not investing time with them, they're not going to get it. I, I don't disagree with that. But I want to add this to it. You know what kind of time really makes the difference? Intentional time that communicates to that child that they are valued, that they matter, that they are special. That's the kind of time that really makes it a difference. <laughs> Make your presence count. Because there's a lot of parents that live under the same roof as their child, so they're technically together, but they're living far apart. Lean in, pursue. How do my parents model goodness to me? How did I see in their lives how they were good so that I, then I would begin to perceive that maybe there's a God who is good? Well, when I was in kindergarten, my parents started a commune <laughs> for wayward youth. Not really, but to any outside observer or any of our neighbors, it probably looked like that at times. During my growing up years, all the way from kindergarten all the way to when I left the house, we had people living in our home that needed a fresh start. And my parents opened up not just their hearts, but their lives to many. In fact, I, I was trying to do the math and I could count 11 people that lived with us, some for a shorter time, some for many years. And I think the most at any one time was four in addition to our family. But I could be wrong. It could have been five or six. It, it could have been. Who was who, invited into our home? Well, we, there was teenagers that were dealing with drug addiction, dealing with mental health issues. Um, there was a mom with three kids, lived with us for years. Um, there was a juvenile felon. Larry, if you're watching, shout out to you. And I just, hear, hear my heart, I'm just gonna be real. There was a lesbian truck driver who was invited into our home. And during the seasons that she was in our home, she gave her life back to Jesus and went on to get a PhD in science and has since graduated to heaven. Listen, my parents didn't just talk about loving other people or loving your neighbors. I saw them through the quality and decisions of their life. I saw them lead with love. I didn't just hear them talk about grace as this abstract idea. I saw them minister to people with grace. Meaning that none of those people <laughs> earned their way into getting the right to live in the moss holder's house. No. They were extended grace. They didn't earn it. They didn't deserve it. But because they were made in the image of God, and because my parents said, we've got enough food on the table and we've got enough space 
Even if their son has to sleep in a sleeping bag for over a year in his own room because someone else is going to sleep in his bed, it's okay with us. Which I loved. They just made a way. They operated with grace and with love. They showed the goodness of Jesus through the way they lived their lives, not just about what they said. And I was thinking about this. If you would have gone back to me during those early years and said, man, what do you think about people getting invited into your home? What what do you think about that? I would have said, "Uh, it's normal to me. Listen, kids roll with like their lives. They don't know. Like you're... Your kid don't know if they're rich or if they're poor until somebody tells them, right? It's just like, this is life for them. We're, we're okay. So if, if you would have asked me then, what, what do you think about what your parents did? I, I wouldn't have, you know, said, I, I don't know, just normal. Life, just family. But if you ask me now what my parents did, I would tell you, that their belief in Jesus had a direct impact in the way they lived for Jesus, that had a direct impact in what I believed about Jesus. It's powerful. It's transformational. So how do my parents model that Jesus is Lord? How did they help me understand that authority is real? Not to be trifled with. Well, my parents set boundaries for my life, for my siblings. They, they set boundaries. This is acceptable, this is not acceptable. And honestly, I cannot remember like this long list of do's and don'ts that my parents gave me. But I, I could categorize them in two areas. Do what I say and do it with respect. If those were violated, I found out really quickly that that was a bad idea. I mean, like, leather would be flying. Not a whip, but a belt, or a Hot Wheels track, or whatever else was in reach at that moment. You're gonna do what I say, and you're gonna do it with respect. You will honor your parents. And you go, Pastor, wasn't that child abuse? <laughs> Listen, if that's child abuse, you better call 911 on this woman right here. <laughs> Listen, I can tell you I was never abused, and I can even tell you I was never beaten. But you know what I learned? It's painful to go down that wrong, that wrong way. That wrong track. And let me just, because I brought up this, the S word, spank you. Like, what do you, is, like, really? Is that something? Listen, I, I honestly think that any parent that chooses to spank, I think they do have the right and authority to do that. But I can tell you from my own experience, my reading and research and looking at people's lives, I think it has very little value once a child begins to mature in their thinking and can understand other concepts. I think for really young kids, if, if, they're, if they are headed either to in a way that is defiant 
Or is they're headed to danger? Like they're gonna walk right out into the street and you've told them, do not go on. I think, listen, a quick swat ah, is gonna remind them, don't go there. This is gonna be painful in your life. Do not defy, do not go into danger. But I think once kids start to like mature and they can actually have a conversation to understand, like these, these are the, you know, these are the rules, these are the boundaries, and, and here's what I would. Listen, can I make a different encouragement to you? Become the parental TSA. TSA. You know, you know what TSA is, right? If you, you've gone through an airport, Ever, you know, ever since uh, 2001, you have to go through security. That's the TSA. Do you know what TSA stands for? Take stuff away. <laughs> so I, stand, I, I was told that by a TSA agent one time with a big wink. <laughs> it means take stuff away. I think way better for as kids old, get older and mature, become the parental TSA. And whatever works in your house. But I've heard of like older kids that like their parent came and like took the door off of their, the hinges to their bedroom. When your behavior and your attitude changes, you can have that door back. Take stuff away. I, you know, like... It's a great reminder. Listen, everything that we have is the Lord's. He's in control. And you know what's a great reminder for the child? Everything that they have is yours. And it is a privilege and an honor, sir, to have a little stewardship over your thing, that door, that phone, that game, you know, game Boy, that, that whatever, that switch, that whatever it is. It's like, no, 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 that, that's not yours. That's mine. You have that because I love you and at times I want to share that with you. But you don't do what I say or you don't do it with respect, come back to its owner, its rightful owner for a season. And my parents did that with me. And in that, ah, listen, I, I never felt unloved. Discipline, God says, is painful for the moment. But you know what it does? It shapes the heart. It shapes the soul. It gives us an understanding that, you know what, if my parents really do have authority and they're using it in a healthy way, that then when I start to bump up against God's authority, I'm going to say, oh, I understand that. I, I do know that there, there's, Jesus is actually Lord. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to follow the boundaries that he set because I've already learned how to follow the boundaries my parents set. But the only way these three things work, modeling presence, goodness, and authority, the only way they work is when they work together. It's like the three-legged stool. Like if you're not present in your kid's life and you're not modeling goodness to them, let me just know how it goes when you show up and try to flex your authority in their life. Mm. Probably not gonna go well for you or for them. These things have to work together. So we're modeling things, living an imitatable faith. We're gonna pray in a second. I, I wanna say this. I wanna say that, you know, not all of you grew up in a home like I did. Not all of you, 
had parents that modeled these things? Or you may be thinking about your own parenting and going, oh man, I could have done a lot better. I'm in that same camp. But Jesus is good. We read this week in our 260 reading that at one time, God will restore all things. But you know what? He's at work restoring things right now. So I don't know if there's a part of your story that's broken or maybe this even hearing some of the things that my parents modeled, you go, oh, if I would have had parents like that. It's true. However you were parented has had a direct impact on your life and your faith, but it does not determine it. But it does not determine it. Let's invite Jesus into those places where our parents got it wrong or where we got it wrong. Let's invite Jesus into those places and then commit ourselves to living in life and a faith that is imitatable. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you, Jesus, because none of us were raised perfectly. None of us had perfect role models. And none of us have been perfect parents, aunts or uncles, grandparents, or even neighbors. But God, our desire is to live in such a way that other people would be able to follow would be able to trust in what we say about who Jesus is because they watch the quality and the character of our lives. So God, help us. Lord, flood in with grace to make up all those things that may be absent from our stories. And Lord, help us to live in a way that other people can look at our lives and see you. Jesus, who is here, who is good, and who is Lord. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Friends, listen, if, if, I don't want you to leave today wondering if you know that Jesus. I don't know your life experience, and maybe it's a miracle that you're here. Maybe the, what you experienced growing up was so traumatic that like if people heard your story, they'd just be like, how are you even standing? Let alone find your way into like a churchy conversation. How is that even possible? God's grace. God's grace. And he's here for you. I'm gonna invite our ministry team just to jump up right now. I don't want anyone to leave without the opportunity to say, you know what, I, I, wanna, I wanna meet that Jesus. I want to learn more about that Jesus, or I want to just give my life to that Jesus. It would be such an honor for our prayer and ministry team to pray for you. Maybe you're a parent that goes, man, I just need God's help to do these kinds of things. I need to make some changes in how I'm modeling things for my kids. You know what? I'm telling you, these folks up here would love to pray for you, to encourage you, to support you. Let's go change the world. Let's go make an impact for him. And let's do that one child at a time, one neighbor at a time, one coworker at a time.
Let's go change the world for Jesus. Amen? Listen, as I often do, I want to just tell you, you are loved. God has blessing for you. He has so much for you. Take a hold of it. Take a hold of it. In our 260 reading this week, now we're in the middle of Acts. Join us. Discover how God works with his people. And works through his people. Because you're going to see a lot of this going on in the stories of Acts. You are loved. Go in peace.